Welcome to the fifth podcast of Counter Voices, a podcast dedicated to providing the complex dimensions of diversity as it applies to history, justice, inclusivity, and equity. Episode 5, Part 1, addresses questions regarding children learning about diversity. I'm Jorge Prosperi, and you are listening to Counter Voices. Today's guest, Gloria Lapata Prosperi, is the voice that you typically hear as the moderator. But today we are switching roles as Gloria will provide some of her research findings, experiences, and insights on significant questions that many parents and educators are asking about diversity. Why, when, how, and by whom should children begin to learn about diversity, inclusivity, and equity? that are directly connected to citizenship and democracy. We consider this topic so pertinent that we are dedicating two podcasts to the topic. Part two deals with the current politicization and radicalization by school boards and parent groups to suppress learning about diversity. Welcome, Gloria, and thank you for taking on such a consequential topic. It's my pleasure. Your background certainly provides parents and teachers with credibility and trust to answer some of the critical questions about children learning about diversity. Your professional background begins with an endorsement in early childhood education as a pre-K teacher. You then taught first grade for Southfield Schools in Michigan, and eventually, after earning your education specialist degree, you became the supervisor of language arts K through 12 for the district. You organized yearly summer reading camps at the Southfield Public Library. You have a doctorate in education and reading, language, and literature, and have presented numerous workshops on reading, writing, and comprehension strategies. You were also a founding member of Going Beyond Tolerance, a program developed by public and independent school teachers and students providing workshops using music and drama to teach about diversity. So Gloria, let's begin with the reality that in 2022, diversity is a tough conversation between adults, much less preschoolers and children in elementary grades. In 2019, you wrote an article on the website diversitythreads.com entitled Never Too Early, Producing a Globally Sensitive Generation. In the article you state, children, regardless of age, want to feel seen, accepted, and proud. They therefore should be provided with a literature-rich environment that enhances their self-image by mirroring each child, as well as exposing them to the richness of the diversity that surrounds them. You also state in the article that teaching diversity in the classroom should begin with children in pre-K and kindergarten. On what do you base this advocacy? Well, children begin learning at birth, and research affirms that our identity is formed during our developmental years. And this is crucial as to how we begin to view ourselves and others. 
This means that our major influences take place in two major arenas, home and school. Eventually, learning is also influenced by the region of our country, communities, our workplaces, and by all of the variables that constitute our culture. As you cited in the article, children want to feel seen. I chose the words feel and seen in order to emphasize that diversity is often associated with how we feel about our identity. And as to being seen, well, all of us want to be validated and believe that we matter. So let's get to the question of when should children begin learning about diversity, which also gets into other critical questions of how should this learning take place and by whom. Well, as to the questions of when, how, and by whom, all three are really interconnected and continue to be throughout the life of a child. It's pertinent to keep in mind that the educational process does not take place in a vacuum. The learning process begins at home, in the crib, and in our arms. A child's learning develops by watching, observing, touching, through language and stories and songs. A child's brain is on overdrive with curiosity and takes in language and the environment like a sponge. Kids learn and develop self-awareness as they interact with their parents, their siblings, and other family members. They become aware of how they look, they develop their personal identities, and this becomes the foundation for their perspectives, attitudes, and values. Now, as they grow older and begin to interact with other children, they begin to notice sameness and differences. And this is when positive conversation about differences can begin. And as they grow older, conversations about gender, race, and behaviors become a natural progression. We must keep in mind that children during their developmental ages are captive audiences to adults. We provide them with the content and context. We provide the language, the family's historical stories, and we set the tone for how they begin to internalize not only identity, but community as well. So what short and long-term advantages do children have who are raised with awareness regarding inclusivity and community as they progress to adulthood? Children who are raised experiencing and living with diversity by way of family, school, and community, they begin to live without fear, distrust, or apprehensions, and most importantly, without prejudices and biases. In other words, they believe that living in a diverse world is a natural part of their lives as human beings. The short and long-term advantages are countless, primarily emotionally and psychologically. Children raised without fear of diversity and inclusivity aren't trapped into narrow-minded and absolute thinking. And most importantly, they don't have to unlearn as adults falsehoods, misinformation, and revisions of history just to get to the truth. They won't find themselves behind learning curves as they enter the inevitable, expansive, diverse universe of the 21st century. Another major advantage is that they're free to continue to evolve, collaborate, and contribute as citizens and human beings, rather than wallowing in a constant state of confrontational opposition, always living with grievances and bitterness. 
Children who begin early in their lives to become aware and learn about diversity and inclusivity can live without needless anxieties, stresses, and chaos inherent in divisionism, racism, sexism, and xenophobia. These isms and phobias deplete the human spirit rather than enhance it. And we have to always remember that children are not born with prejudices or biases and bigotry. Negative predispositions about others are constructed and learned both consciously and unconsciously through overt and covert means. So the advantages of growing up with awareness and acceptance allows children freedom. It empowers and most importantly, provides confidence to continue to grow and evolve as human beings. Gloria, as we explore such questions, I am reminded that discussions about diversity tend to never be simple and often have many layers and dimensions. Your background deals with answering such questions regarding whether diversity should be taught and when. Can you speak to this? Of course. First of all, when they're old enough, we need to talk to kids about their own history and family legacy. These kinds of conversations raise self-awareness about the differences within our own families. Children begin to notice difference early on by way of appearances, gender, race, physical abilities, language, and relationships between our own family members. So parents and family members are instrumental in the stories children hear at home. A key question is, aside from providing the diverse history of our own family, is how do I deal with teaching diversity beyond our family? Well, first of all, we don't have to do it alone. There are many, many credible and trustworthy resources and references. So we can always enhance our conversation by providing a literature-rich environment that enhances their self-image by mirroring each child as well as exposing them to the richness of the diversity that surrounds them. Books can offer stories of positive interactions between children who are different. Books can show people in different regions of the world with different traditions, hairstyles, games, clothing, and songs. And all of this provides many opportunities for rich discussions. Young children can share what they notice is the same, what they notice is different, and talk about their own experiences by telling their own stories. Literature can become a significant positive influence because not only does it offer a realistic reflection of the world, but it can help shape positive perspectives and develop comfort with otherness while also reflecting what we have in common. This is when tolerance and respect become key elements in how and what we think about difference and otherness. What are some of the specific recommendations that parents can consider? I know that you are a huge, huge fan of libraries and librarians. Yes, yes I am, and for very good reasons. I believe in visits to the local library as often as possible. I believe you should make it a weekly event that children can look forward to. Librarians are excellent resources who can guide parents and children to literature on diversity, inclusivity, equity, and their connections to citizenship and democracy. It's important to use these words also early on. 
so that they can begin to understand the layers and the connections. But we also need to keep in mind that for some families, transportation to the library may not be available. So some states have established book-by-mail programs for the physically disabled, children with long-term illnesses, and families that lack transportation. Also, libraries provide a host of educational services, from homework skills to tutoring. And libraries also have special meet-the-author programs, when children can meet authors, illustrators, and ask as many questions as they want. So let's keep in mind that reading is, of course, a significant tool, but writing is as well. Children can begin pretend writing on notebooks just by scribbling their stories and drawing pictures. At home, it's really important to find a space in a child's room for their personal library where they can keep all of their books. And don't hesitate to reread favorite books because each time there will be opportunities to enhance the story being shared. While reading, repeat, and explain new words, Get the children used to hearing synonyms and antonyms and similes and metaphors. Span meanings and connections between words. Use new words in different sentences. And really embrace this time together because it will be remembered. Children should come to think that they have three libraries, actually. One at home, one at school, and one in the community. I am curious to hear your opinion as to whether such experiences as youngsters linger. That is, provide a foundation that makes a difference as they enter adolescence and adulthood. That's a great question. Because learning about diversity, inclusivity, equity, citizenship, and democracy, they all begin with early awareness and consistent access to the language related to these concepts. The more we consistently promote and enhance open-mindedness, the more likely and comfortable children are as they grow older to explore new ideas and view our world and ourselves and others. This means that the lenses of tolerance, compassion, and empathy are always present and become internalized as a habit that some refer to as expanding our emotional intelligence. In the study of diversity, inclusivity, and equity, there are two concepts that play a role in how we view ourselves and others. They are perspective and perception. Can you speak to these key elements? Well, again, I would direct parents and teachers to books. One of my favorite books on perspective and perception is a book called Zoom, Z-O-O-M, by Istvan Banyai. The book is wordless and collaborative, so it provides parents, teachers, and children with wonderful, wonderful opportunities for conversations regarding how the child interprets and perceives what is seen. But with each page, the book provides an enhanced and amplified landscape. Therefore, the initial impression and perspective is amplified. The book is actually a journey from a farm to a desert island with each marvelous illustration providing greater perspective and perceptions. The genius of the book is that what we initially think we see may only be a small portion of our awareness, 
and also our predispositions. I would also recommend pop-up books that provide a wide range of perspectives as to what is seen. This allows the child to describe in their own words, telling their own story, what are they seeing and what are they feeling. Pop-up books always remain in families as heirlooms over many generations because children enjoy them so much. Can you speak to the process from preschool to elementary school, whether learning about diversity is sustained during junior, high, high school, and as adults? Well, so much depends on parents in schools to continue the exposure, language, and the learning process. As children enter first and second grades, they begin to move beyond their dependent, egocentric worlds. As they grow, they're more able to absorb the significance of language, and they begin to think critically about their expansive world. A key element is for parents and teachers to continually promote and encourage critical thinking rather than to obstruct it. Kids need to be provided with opportunities that empower them to pursue knowledge and reasoning. Such a process provides confidence and develops curiosity. Keep in mind Our brain never stops learning after a certain age or grade, nor do our feelings about self and others. Children need to be mentored to feel and project kindness when meeting and interacting with those who do not reflect themselves, either through physical appearance, when encountering children with special needs, or even when discussing home and family environments. For example, children who come from a family with a single parent or a family with two mothers or two fathers, families that are bicultural and bilingual, children who experience different types of family celebrations. The laser-fixed focus is that difference is not to be feared or demonized, but rather tolerated and eventually respected and enjoyed for all the right reasons. This leads us to the Key question, who should provide the teaching? What is the role of a parent and teacher in respect to the teaching and learning process related to diversity? Well, we have to understand that children detect what is important to adults. We don't give kids enough credit for their astuteness. Children are not only listening, but they're also interpreting. We as adults are the mentors that provide the signals through language, the tone of our language, and the behavior that we model. Therefore, to answer your question specifically, the burden of mentorship and nurturing children on diversity, inclusivity, and equity rests on the shoulders of adults as parents and teachers. Children quickly begin to understand whether diversity is important to us, and they begin to notice our attitudes toward difference. Of course, there are differences as to the degree of influence a parent versus a teacher has, but both share similar responsibilities. A major priority, and I can't emphasize this enough, is to tell children the truth and to help them develop critical thinking skills to pursue that truth. Parents and teachers should always nurture curiosity and encourage kids to always ask questions. 
questions at home and in the classroom can lead to wonderful opportunities to explain how clothing, for example, can reflect a person's heritage, their culture, the traditions and religion, without difference being defined or thought of as having a negative connotation. We should not fear to have answers for why a person's skin color is different or why their friends at school and children in the neighborhood don't all look the same or why their friends speak several languages or why they may attend a different place of worship or not attend a church or a temple at all. These are the kinds of discussions without provoking fear or negativity that can lead to positive feelings about their own identities as part of an inclusive world rather than feelings of isolation, exclusivity, or disdain for others. Gloria, correct me if you disagree, but what you are implying is that both parents and teachers need to do their homework on diversity in order to be able to answer tough questions posed by children. Absolutely. (laughs) There's an excellent book by Gary R. Howard entitled, We Can't Teach What We Don't Know. I strongly recommend it to parents and teachers because I feel that we as parents can't talk about what we don't know and may even fear to talk about what we don't know. And diversity is absolutely one of those subjects. There are countless articles and books and websites dealing with knowledge bases on diversity and inclusivity that provide research and data, awareness, and strategies as to how to address it. These resources prepare us as parents for really good, deep discussions with our children. Think about it. What do most parents do before a child is born? We plan and we prepare. We seek awareness, credible knowledge bases, and advice. We ask thousands of questions and we read books and we prepare ourselves with information about the health of a newborn and we seek advice about parenting and nurturing a child. The same is true for parents and teachers. We need to do our homework on diversity, inclusivity, and equity, and there are no excuses for fear or remaining clueless about these subjects. What about teachers? To what extent do teachers need to be professionally prepared and able to teach about diversity, inclusivity, and equity? Well, I think we often have it backwards when answering this question. It doesn't begin at school with teachers. It begins with ongoing, and I stress ongoing, professional development of school board members, board of trustees, superintendents, headmasters, principals, department heads, and teachers. And by this, I don't mean an annual check-the-box token workshop or an HR video on diversity and inclusivity. The key is ongoing professional development. Districts, as well as independent and faith-based schools that are serious and responsible about diversity and inclusivity, develop a proactive vision, mission, and guiding principles that incorporate diversity and inclusivity across the curriculum by professional design, just as major corporations and businesses have done. Therefore, Diversity and inclusivity should be mapped across all grades and content areas, preschool through high school. And I challenge colleges to do the same. The responsibility being that learning is directly connected to citizenship 
and our democracy. Furthermore, all schools should have a diversity inclusivity mission statement, a diversity committee, along with a professionally designed curriculum shared with the entire community. Learning about diversity, inclusivity, and equity and its relationship to citizenship and democracy is not an event, but a lifelong process at home and at school. As an aside, I've heard you present at workshops and conferences speaking on the importance of developing language skills and promoting reading and also writing at home. How can parents introduce language skills in general at home before entering school? Well, first and foremost, parents should take every opportunity to establish reading time with their children. Reading to kids provides comfort, security, relaxation, and reassurance. It can become a great time for bonding, building confidence, and it's fun. The time spent with your child lets them know they're important, and it builds their self-esteem. It builds their vocabulary, and it definitely, definitely feeds their imaginations. During the first years of life, you should continually talk to your child, providing the reassurance of your voice. Share with them in a positive and endearing tone your stories about how you grew up. Sing to them. Share your funniest memories. Share the names of family members. And tell them as often as possible how much you love them, how you cherish them, and how much they matter. What would you say to the mom, dad, who believes and agrees that reading to a child is beneficial? but comes home exhausted with chores to do and just runs out of time and energy to read to their child? Well, that's something I definitely understand because I've been there. I don't think that availability of time for reading to kids should be taken for granted given that we have families being raised by a single parent or extended family members who find their time compressed by major responsibilities, especially during the pandemic. However, there are many opportunities to read with your child, even if you can't do it every single evening. We can read birthday and holiday cards together, grocery lists, street signs like stop, yield, slow down, workers present. And how about recognizing restaurant signs? Hey, there's a McDonald's. They can also read the names of aisles at the grocery store, labels on their favorite foods like cereal boxes, and we can even read a recipe together. Sometimes a child can read the pictures in a book to you and tell you the story. This can even be done at home while you're folding laundry or while you're driving in the car going places together. Music is another significant resource because children love to rhyme. Jokes and riddle books offer short, fun opportunities for short bursts of reading. You have to be creative and just have fun with it. I also don't want to forget to mention immigrant parents who are establishing their own English language skills. ESL teachers can provide bilingual books so that both parent and child can gain confidence acclimating to the use of both languages. There are more bilingual books being published that provide bridges between language, and that's another place where the library will come in handy. What other suggestions would you have relating to emphasizing diversity awareness? 
Well, not only with books, but dolls and action heroes. They can all be introduced because they explore difference. Another way is for parents to talk to very young children about similarities and differences in the children that play together at the park or in the neighborhood. We can enroll our kids in sports activities as well as music or art classes that may offer another opportunity to see diversity as the norm, while also taking the opportunity to emphasize values that focus on inclusivity. Parents can immerse their children in community activities that reflect and embrace and celebrate diversity. We can take trips to museums, which offer an opportunity to discuss not only differences, but similarities in cultures. For example, asking open-ended questions and listening without judgment as they explore and notice what they see in paintings and the objects that they see in museums. We can play I Spy at the museum. And since play is universal, they can learn not only about the art, but what about the culture of other children's backgrounds? What games do they play? And what are their toys like? We here in Michigan are truly blessed because we have marvelous science and learning centers across the state. We have a nationally renowned zoo, cultural, historical centers, and amazing, beautiful public parks. And of course, we have the incredible Greenfield Village, the Rouge Factory, and Henry Ford Museum of American Innovation. As they enter junior high and high school, there are multicultural institutes. The renowned African American Museum is available, the Holocaust Center, and both of these, all of these, can enhance not only emotional intelligence, but moral courage as well. What these venues have in common is a constant opportunity for discovery beyond home and the classroom, while developing language and enhancing and amplifying examples of diversity. Gloria, as we approach the end of this podcast, what advice would you provide parents who are unsure as to the degree of involvement in the teaching of diversity, inclusivity, and equity? It's definitely not a matter whether we should or should not get involved. We should and I feel we must. We can get involved by first becoming aware of resources, seeking advice, getting involved with other parents who show similar proactive interests regarding diversity and inclusivity. In other words, as we spoke about earlier, do the homework first. Find your personal power of influence at home and at school. And at the same time, push back on negativity and obstruction and polarization and politicization and radicalization of education. Run for school boards and become active in parent associations. Use your voice of reason, inclusivity, and ultimately vote. Demonstrate intelligence, provide facts and research, but do it with civility, dignity, and grace. We just saw in real time what getting involved in voting can do in our most recent midterm elections of 2022. We can also model for our children using kind language by being thoughtful and respectful in our language and actions towards others, and most importantly, pointing out unacceptable, intolerant behavior such as bullying. Specifically, Parents can work with teachers helping with multicultural show-and-tell days, world music dance and song day, school-wide art fairs, 
volunteer as a library aide or assist doing library fairs, and promote global pen pal programs. We know that children exposed to diversity early on develop stronger social skills and are more receptive to others and become more comfortable with differences of race, religion, lifestyle, and language. The gift you are giving your child by mentoring open-mindedness can create the lifelong empowering skills of critical thinking, emotional intelligence, and moral courage as fellow citizens and human beings. Thank you, Gloria, for part one of these two podcasts dedicated to the children and our roles as parents and adults in providing mentorship and guidance. You provided a plethora of reasons why and also tangible examples and recommendations. But we are not done with this subject. Please join us on episode six, podcast episode six, part two, dealing with current attempts by school boards and parent groups to politicize and radicalize school curriculum by suppressing language, books, materials, data, teaching methods, and revising history in order to suppress knowledge, critical thinking, and inclusivity. As always, we want to thank sincerely Ellen Contino, executive producer and chief engineer of Delirium Networks, and to Nancy Gage and Anthony Bias for their graphic designs on the website and podcast. And lastly, our sincere thanks to each of you for joining us. I am Jorge Prosperi, and you have been listening to Counter Voices. <laughs>